0: Well, they're off and running. It's time to hear all the things that our political campaigns have to offer us. And and they're going to focus our attention on a number of things. And lately, we've been hearing about their different views on the economy. And it's pretty typical that we have differing views of just how well off we are. Now, it really comes down to what we think, doesn't it? As they're talking about our well-being and trying to get us to evaluate, am I better off than I was before? Do I have what I need? It comes down to our decision. Do we believe them? Do we follow what they're saying? Well, we're gonna hear more and more promises as the campaigns get going. What are we gonna do? Wouldn't it be nice if we had something that we could point to Something that we could say, here's what really works, and there's proof behind it. But we do have that. The promises of God. Because what God promises us is right and true. Well, this month I'm going to have a series of messages entitled, His Everyday Promises. We're going to look at some promises that God has given us in the Scriptures that we need to hear and definitely can use every day of our life. I'd like to start the series by talking about our well-being, the economy. We're going to look at an old economic plan and see that works, because it's God's plan. Here it is. Paul unveils it for us in his first letter to the pastor, Timothy. He writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin And destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs but you man of God flee from all of this and pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Well, in addition to our political candidates talking about the economy, we hear a lot of other things about the economy and how we should handle our money. There are all sorts of commercials on investing. Some will ask you or urge you to invest in gold and silver. Others will advertise their services as the, as the best investment broker there is. And again, we have to make a decision. Now, a lot of them offer good advice, and there's nothing wrong with listening to and following good advice. But God offers us some even better advice, something that we need to listen to and follow. You see, God approaches it from a different aspect. He talks about the differences or what's right and wrong with different economic views, but he approaches it from talking about the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. Did you hear Paul's words when he was talking about money? Listen, see what I have highlighted? Those who want to get rich follow harmful desires it's a love of money people who are eager for money you see he's talking about what's in our heart what we want what we're trying to get even jesus highlighted that in the, in the gospel reading that we had a few minutes ago he said don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you cannot serve both god And money as proof or evidence of that we can listen to one of the richest men in the world I'm not talking about Donald Trump I'm talking about King Solomon here's what he reflected on as he looked at all his accomplishments all his possessions and his wealth he said yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So you can see that that God is going to the very heart of the problem by addressing what's in our hearts. Well, where do all those desires and, 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 and eagerness and love for material things come from? Our passage today started out with a little word, but. It's a connector word. It's connecting what he was talking about there with what he had just finished talking about, and it's showing us a contrast. He was talking previously about people who were using their spiritual life, their religious teachings or beliefs as a way to get financial gain, as a way of seeing that life in this world is better. He referred to it as avoiding sound doctrine. And that word sound means unhealthy. Uh, so he was saying, when we take in unhealthy things, that leads to desires and, and eagerness for the things of the world. Now, how do we know if what we're hearing and what we're taking in is, is healthy or not? Now you know that I don't like fish. I don't like to eat it, don't like to smell it, don't like to look at it. But yet I'm told it's very healthy for you. Despite the fact I know it's healthy, I don't want anything to do with it. And sometimes that's the way people approach spiritual things too. They hear what's right, they're told what's true, but because it doesn't fit what they want, they avoid it. I'd rather have an order of large fries than fish. Oh, sorry parents, I was supposed to say cover your children's ears. So how do we know if what we hear is right or wrong? You look to the scriptures. You look to what God says. Today there are some preachers who are preaching what we call a prosperity gospel in which they're saying, boy, if you follow all these particular laws and things that were in the Old Testament, you're going to be very well off in life. Well, that's not what the message of the Bible is about. And so that kind of unhealthy teaching leads to an unhealthy heart. And the result is there's harm and hopelessness in our life. Paul said, when you look at what you have, you realize you didn't come into the world with it. And you can't take it with you either. When someone dies, if you ask the question, I wonder what they left behind. The answer is everything. What we have in this world is not lasting. And so it can offer no hope to us for the future. Listen how the Apostle Paul described the harm that comes. He says those who want to get rich fall into temptation. You kind of slip, you know, if you, just like you're walking along and you're not paying attention to what's in front of you and you, you stumble, or maybe there's something, maybe the floor was wet and, and you slip on it. He said the same thing can happen as we're looking at the things of this world. We can fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He's painting a very dismal picture there. He's showing us the the, the dangers, the harm that comes when we want the things in this world more than we want God and his will for us. Then he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. That is, they have put the worldly things in their life as more important than God. That's the problem that God sees. I was uh, watching the Olympic opening the other night, and a commercial came on that was talking about going for the gold, you know, talking about the athletes and their desire to win a gold medal. And they were trying to impress upon us that, you know, this is something that's really inside of them. And so they said this, did you know that you have gold inside of you? What, I've never heard that before. So I googled it and sure enough, (laughs) our bodies contain about .2 milligrams of gold. Don't try to buy a car with it. And they say most of it's in our blood. Well, we know that all that blood in our body passes through our heart. So they were trying to say, you know, this desire to get gold, that's something that's deep inside of us all to be successful. And I thought, that's exactly what God is saying. That's what's in us, in our nature. This desire for everything that's here. Now there's a TV commercial that asks the question, what's in your wallet? Or a version of it now, what's in your safe? And I'll say, what's in your heart? Whether it's politicians or businesses, they all know that there's that gold inside of us, that desire for more, that desire for better, and they play off of that. And look at the result that happens. That can be worry. You know, that's easy to happen, right? You look at your stack of bills, and you look what's in the checkbook, and you start to worry. am I gonna be able to pay all that off. That can lead to discontent. I don't have enough. I need more. It could even lead to some greed or or a lack of trust that that God isn't providing for me like he said because I don't have what I need but it's really more so I don't have what I want. There's that greed there. I I see what everybody else has. I see that, that nice red car that just goes by on the street and why can't I have that? You see what the problem is? It's a problem of the heart. God sees it. God says it, and we have it. But God also sees and speaks a promise to us that we also have. And here's God's promise for our well being Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now every political uh, candidate is gonna have his his policy, his platform, and it'll have different features in it. These are the features of God's economic plan for us. Godliness, contentment, great gain. So let's take a minute and look at each one of those components so we understand it. Godliness. The word godliness simply means
1: piety
0: or, or reverence for God. I know my mother taught me it was next to cleanliness. But it's referring to what is inside of our heart, that, that desire to love and worship God. And then it shows itself on the outside. It's like a seed. If you had a, a watermelon seed, you look at that little seed and you think, how could that ever become a watermelon? But inside, you know, is the stuff it takes to, to grow a vine and, and then the melon itself. And so it is this reverence and piety that we have for God is going to show itself in our life. Inside there will be that that sound, that that healthy teaching. Not self-serving teaching. I've got to get the Bible to say what I want it to say. There's not going to be a moralistic view, well, if I do this and do that, then I'm right. Nor is it just a, a, a generic spiritual belief in a higher power. No, Paul is is talking about godliness. That's the faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. God's Son who came into this world to live for us, to die, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to rise again from the dead to give us eternal life. When I have that faith inside, then it's going to show. It's going to show it in my worship for God. It's going to show it in my living for God. That's godliness, that's what Paul is is urging us to have as the first part of that economic plan, that well-being for our lives. Now he's gonna go on and he's gonna talk about contentment, but there's a little word that he says before contentment. He said godliness with contentment, and that's an important word to remember, because he's talking about these two things going together. It's like when you order a hamburger at McDonald's. They don't just give you the the two all-beef patties. They also give you the, the lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, all on a sesame seed bun. That's your hamburger. It's a unit thing. And that's what he's saying with God's economic plan for us. It's a unit. Godliness with contentment. Well, exactly what is contentment? I like to think of the word containment. That is what I have. And that what I have is all that I need and and that's what I'm satisfied with. So it's talking about satisfaction and, and sufficiency. And that takes us back to the heart of the problem, doesn't it? We never think we have enough. We always think that there's something better we can and should have. It's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. God made them perfect and put them in paradise and they weren't satisfied with that. They thought they could be better. They thought they could be like God. We suffer the same thing. We think that things can always be better somewhere else. And there is more that I could have. (laughs) What's funny is, even when we have the better, even when we have the more, we're still not satisfied. So where is true contentment then? Not in what's in our hand, but what's in our heart. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul that he wrote when he was in prison, and you would think he must have been in great need. Here's what he writes. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's his secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then he gives us this promise. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus see, what he's telling us is that true contentment is really a soul sufficiency. I know I have Christ and his love, and that's all I need. Now, you take that godliness, and you combine it with that contentment, and Paul says you will have great gain. He's not talking about material things, because he said, you don't bring it into the world, and you're not going to take it out of the world. And Jesus said, rust and moth will destroy all of that stuff. So what is the gain he is talking about? Again, Paul, writing from prison, tells us about it. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things? I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith I want to know Christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead you hear what he's saying? The great gain is Christ. He put it real simple at the beginning of his letter. He, say, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die, to be with Christ, that's gain. So God's economic plan has a beautiful result promise for us Christ and eternal life. Do you like that promise? Is it a great promise? Do you believe that promise? I'm sure you say, well, yes, of course I do. That's God's talking, why wouldn't I believe it? The question is, do you live it? And there's the challenge for us. Because we we struggle with worries and fears and doubts and discontent because we fall in God's promise. There's another great promise I want you to know of today. You know, a few minutes ago I talked about that gold that's inside of us, and I said that that really is so picturesque of that desire we have for material things, but there's something else inside of us. It's a protein molecule called laminin. And what it does, it it acts as like a glue to to, uh, adhere the cells in our bodies to each other so that they can communicate. Here's a picture of it under a microscope. Do you see its shape? There's a cross in us. But the promise I'm talking about now isn't the cross of this laminate. It's the cross of Jesus. Here's another great promise for us to remember when we talk about and think about our well-being. God promised I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Your doubts, your worries, your fears, your discontent, your greed, God forgives it all because of Jesus, who, with his innocent death, paid the price for our guilt. We're forgiven. Now, empowered with that forgiveness, God gives another promise. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? just as every economic plan is going to have its particular features, it's also going to urge us what we should do. And so here's our personal plan, what God urges us to do, to put his promise into work, to work in our lives. There's two steps. Paul outlines the first one here. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So step number one, you can remember it which is two letters today, two letters, F and P. Flee and pursue. He was telling us to flee, to run away from, to keep on running away from all those desires and eagerness we have for worldly things that misplaces our trust in God. Now, it's, if you're going to run away from something, it's always easier if you're running after something else. And so he says, instead, pursue, and he lists six things for us, and they're grouped together like pairs. Righteousness and godliness. Righteousness is that condition of our heart that God has declared is ours through faith in Jesus. Pursue that faith in Jesus. And then what's on the inside, show it on the outside with godliness. He says, pursue faith and love. That truth of God in the scriptures about your salvation. And love, his love. Not a love for money, but a love for God. And a love that will show itself in its sacrifice for others. Not to get, but to give. And he says, pursue patience. Which is that that courage to continue even in tough times. And gentleness, meekness. Not weakness, but having the strength God gives you. Under control to his glory. So that's step number one. Flee all that worldly stuff and pursue the the blessings and the gifts of God. Here's step two. About the middle there, I'll start with verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, F and P. Fight and possess. And when he says fight, he doesn't doesn't mean be antagonistic in our humanity. Think of our Olympic athletes and the fighting that they do. It simply means they muster up all their strength, use all their muscles, and put their full attention focused on their goal. That's the kind of fighting he wants us to have. Focus on the goal of God's will for you and Jesus. And possess. Take hold of And hold on to tightly that blessing of eternal life that is yours in Jesus. That's the victor's crown. That's the gold that we will get by his grace. How's your race? How's your fight? How's your pursuit of well being going? We know we struggle. You wake up in the morning and you might think, oh, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Or you might say, I get up because, boy, I love my job. Or you might get up and say, you know what? God has given me the opportunity to serve my family or others today, and so I go. See the difference? The battle between discontent and contentment and godliness. Well, we're gonna hear a lot of promises in the next few months, but let's hang on to the everyday promises that God gives us. Because he speaks them, they are true. The promise today, God with, us, with contentment is great gain. May God bless us in that promise, amen.